Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Rachel, and on today's New Statesman podcast, I'm talking to Jodie Beck, Policy and Campaigns Officer at the human rights organisation Liberty, about the public order bill currently making its way through Parliament. Jodie, thank you so much for coming on to chat to us about this. Let's start with the context of the public order bill. We heard a lot about the police crime sentencing and courts bill last year that sort of became came law in April. This is a new thing. This is a separate thing that seems to be doing a very similar job of trying to restrict how people can protest, who can protest and at what stage the police can get involved. Absolutely. So the public order bill itself has an interesting relationship to the policing bill. So We know that when the policing bill was being passed through the Lords, the government, very late on in the day, wanted to add in a bunch of new measures. And those measures are the substance of this new public order bill. So the House of Lords last January, about a year ago, rejected all of the last minute measures the government wanted to add into the policing bill on the basis that the policing bill had already been through many of the different stages of parliamentary scrutiny. And... The measures were a severe escalation on the clampdown on protests, which is what the public order bill exactly is now. So within the public order bill, we've got a new range of protest-related offences. So that is anything from locking on. So a tactic that has been used throughout history, whether it's from the suffragettes to anti-war movements to climate protesters now. We have things such as interference with key national infrastructure, but they're definition of infrastructure is very much up for editing by the Home Secretary of the Day. And then we have serious disruption prevention orders, which are probably better known as protest banning orders or as both for protesters, which can extinguish specific individuals' right to protest. And then we have the expansion of stop and search, which is an already hugely discredited police power that under this new public order bill will be expanded to to protest-specific context. So it's a really deeply concerning escalation of the government's clampdown on protest and really should concern anybody who has a cause that they believe in. So the wider context for this is the fact that the government say we're seeing new types of 
process, particularly with regards to climate change and environmentalism. They are looking at the tactics of Extinction Rebellion, Just Stop Oil, Insulate Britain and saying these groups are able to bring the entire country to a halt or block a motorway or block central London and therefore the police require new powers in order to address that. That's their wider argument. But looking at what this particular bill says, you're suggesting that it's quite a lot broader and that there might be lots of areas of protest that people wouldn't associate with that very disruptive, specifically about bringing the sex capital to a halt. A lot of things could be caught under that umbrella other than maybe the headline protest acts. Is that right? That's correct. So I think we've seen the headlines around particular movements and the tactics that they use. But I think the key thing about this bill is that it it affects all of our rights to protest. And the measures within this bill, even the language used to draft some of these measures is so broad, so as to widen the criminalizing drug net, if you like. It drugs in both people who are protesting, but also people who aren't. And so I think a really useful illustration of this is the new powers to stop and search in the bill. So the bill expands both suspicion-based and suspicionless stop and search. And in a protest-specific context, this is really concerning because they're using stop and search in a protest context. Police will be searching for objects that could be made, adapted or intended for use in the course of or in connection with protests, which is so broad, it could involve things like bike locks, protests, posters, placards, flyers, lots of everyday household items, but also items that people take to protest because that's the whole point. If you're holding a placard, you're getting a message out there, you're making yourself heard. But the key thing is, so taking suspicionless stop and search as an example, that would give police the power to put in force something called a Section 60 authorization. So that, say that happens in Parliament Square, which is a site of power. Lots of different protests take place there across a broad range of issues. That could mean if I was walking through Parliament Square and I happened to have a bike lock because my bike was locked up somewhere nearby in the vicinity, I could be, I would be under the guise of policing and be meet the criteria for a stop and search. And if that object is found on me, then I would be criminalised. And that is the extent to which this broad, this bill is so broad and catches many different types of behavior, many different types of people who are just carrying different things on them. But also, if you're caught with a placard and you're on your way to stand outside Parliament Square to protest against the anti-strike bill, for example, as that's, there was a protest related to that nearby recently, then you know, you're within the reach of these powers. They're so broad. Another thing that I think is really interesting from the government through the passage of this bill is this use of the ordinary person is being disrupted. It's all about ordinary people and protecting them. And these protesters are ruining the lives of ordinary people. And I would just say ordinary people are getting a really rough deal from this government, not only from this anti-protest bill, but if we connect the dots between that and the protest bill we saw last year, and also the introduction of voter ID, and now with the anti-strike legislation, ordinary people surely are deeply concerned about that. Because if we equate ordinary people with working people and people that have different beliefs and causes that they might want to raise the alarm about, whether it's through the ballot box or on the streets or picketing outside their workplace, then at every angle, the government is really restricting those rights. 
And so I really just call into question this use of people as the people that really want to see protests restricted because that really just doesn't chime with the people that take to the streets and make their voices heard on a daily, weekly basis. I'm going to come back to the kind of wider context of the government restricting people's rights in various settings and really interesting to talk about voter ID as well as one of those. Getting into the specifics, though, of what behaviour could come under these new powers, I think there is a perception, particularly among people who have had their working days disrupted by the tactics of some of these groups. And I think you might agree that there isn't always a lot of public sympathy. Your day that's been disrupted when you've been stuck on the motorway or haven't been able to get into work or missed something crucial. There's a perception that is the behaviour that is being targeted. Now, what you're saying is the way, whether or not you think it is right to restrict those specific actions, the way this bill has been drafted actually brings a whole lot of other behaviour under policing powers that even the people who are frustrated about somebody gluing themselves to the motorway would be surprised that turning up, carrying a placard could get them into trouble. Do you think that's missed? Do you think the people who drafted this bill perhaps didn't understand that? Is that deliberate? That, that, that seems quite, I think a lot of people would be quite surprised by that. Yeah, that's a fair question. And I think the first thing to say is on that is that the tactics we're seeing being used by different movements, different, just to pull Extinction Rebellion, they're a real product of the government's action to restrict protest in recent years. When the government introduces new legislation to criminalise particular tactics, to enforce new police powers, to restrict public processions and assemblies, that's actually shifting these movements to more urgent methods of protest. And that's why I really think we've seen this kind of increase in tactics that we've seen movements take to the M25, take to Dartford Bridge, using different and new sites of power like museums and galleries. That's a direct result of what the government has been doing to restrict protest. And the Home Office actually came out a couple of weeks ago and said the reason why we need more legislation is because of the impact of the policing bill, etc. So they, they actually made that admission. We know that this is shifting protesters to urgent routes, which is quite interesting for them to say that, given this kind of emphasis on certain movement groups protesting in ways that are deemed acceptable. So not doing a quiet protest in Parliament Square. But I think that the point you made about when we're thinking beyond the movements that are like that are being spoken about by the government at the moment, will people really grapple with the fact that this is so broad? I think it's a really important point. And what I would say to that is that we're seeing people now raising their concerns with the government, whether that's on the cost of living crisis, for example, demanding an adequate response to that, taking to the streets to voice their concerns about that, whether it's striking workers nurses taken to the streets, teachers taken to the streets, like we've seen this week, that really shows that ordinary people do use protest. It's not just limited to a certain category of issue. But I think there will be a real chilling effect when these powers come into play and the government start using and the courts start using things like protest banning orders, which is why it's been really important to oppose these measures because they will have such a far-reaching impact. If we're thinking about things like protest banning orders... They can capture people that have not even been involved in a protest, but would fall under the guise of electronic monitoring should they be given one of these. And so the impact will be so, so broad beyond 
who the government thinks they're targeting in the first place. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Weymouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. So these are the serious disruption prevention orders and you've worked on a paper for Liberty that kind of explains what these are and how these would work and you refer to them as protest as bows. In fact, you could get one of these orders and suddenly a lot of behaviour that we would never think about as criminal from turning up to a protest to just posting on Facebook or social media, giving people advice, even making the materials that the posters for a protest, even if you don't go yourself or associating with certain people who are in protest movements, suddenly all of that behaviour is potentially criminalised because you've been been slapped with one of these one of these orders. Is this something that is common in, in other countries? This is a very this seems like a very strange and quite radical thing to be introducing in, in Britain. Do we see this elsewhere? We don't. And I think actually that's formed part of the opposition to this is that kind of international question of whether it's the government speaking about the way in which Russian people were were criminalised for protesting against Russian intervention into Ukraine or in Hong Kong and how the UK government approach the national security laws in Hong Kong. This is, a, this is so beyond what we would expect in our country. And really, I suppose if we want to think about the UK as having some level of reputation for upholding the values of democracy internationally. That's deeply concerning. But I think as well, like before before the policing bill was passed, there was a commissioned report by the Home Office where Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary of Fire and Rescue Services actually reviewed proposals like serious disruption prevention orders. And you had a raft of opposition to that from senior police officers to home office workers themselves actually saying that these orders aren't compatible with human rights, nor will they be an effective deterrent. And so that they've received opposition from so many different corners of society, especially opposition from the police, who a lot of the messaging around this bill has been, we want to provide more support to the police to deal with disruption. We want to provide clarity to the police. This does nothing of the soul. And actually, it's a new 
wide-ranging and draconian power that will see enormous levels of intrusive surveillance against protesters should they be given one of these orders. I think, you know, the range of conditions that you can be subject to if you are given a protest banning order, it ranges from having to report to certain places at certain times, all the way through to wearing an electronic monitoring ankle tag. And so it's deeply concerning. And the last thing on that is that POs can be enforced with or without conviction. And even on conviction, the way that this is drafted means that you have to have committed a protest-related offence, which is a term used throughout this bill. And that's defined so broadly as just an offence which is directly related to protest, which essentially could be anything. But also it's concerning given the fact that the government are really trying to expand that category to just include many of the tactics that they're unhappy with, essentially. And so it's not hard to imagine in the next couple of months, like we've seen with the public order bill being so closely following the policing bill, whether the government will just continue to ramp up public order legislation because they want to expand that category of protest-related offence to correspond across to what they believe are new tactics used by particular groups. But actually, they aren't new. They're being used throughout history. And also, movements continue to evolve. And so it's a real targeted clampdown that will affect protests across the board. Yeah, I remember when the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill was being debated, one of the provisions in there is that police can shut down a protest if it might be too noisy. And you did see a lot of resistance. Sadly, it didn't have an impact on the bill being passed, pointing out that if a protest isn't noisy or isn't inconvenient, it's not really really a protest. And that is the point of them. On the politics of this, when this public order bill went to the House of Lords, peers actually voted down some of the key provisions. Now, the House of Lords doesn't get involved in legislation like this very often. When it does, it's often criticised from MPs saying it's undemocratic. How much of these measures was in the 2019 manifesto and how big of a role does the House of Lords then get to play in saying, no, actually, you can't pass this legislation? Is this one area where actually the Lords really do have the power to, to stop this? I think the House of Lords have continued to play a really important role in pushing back on the government's proposals on protests, but also broader legislation. We saw it last year with the Elections Bill and the Nationality and Borders Bill. I think it's interesting with the anti-protest legislation to really look at the way the government are trying to impose new powers. So I think a key thing for the House of Lords right is procedure and following parliamentary procedure. And so if the government decide to, which they have with the public order bill and they did with the policing bill last year, if they decide to table amendments very late on in the day where the bill has already received scrutiny in the Commons and through many of the stages of the House of Lords, peers are very, very good and very fast at knocking those provisions out of the bill. I think what we saw this week at report stage when there were those key defeats against the government is peers just really pointing out the absurdity of these measures. So one of the defeats was actually on a late government amendment to introduce a new definition of serious disruption, which is a phrase used throughout the bill and is and wasn't defined when the bill was first laid before parliament. And the government amendment, again, 
along the lines of we want to provide clarity to the police. So if we give this definition, it will really help them out in finding which protests need to be restricted and which ones are okay. The definition itself was even more confusing. So it used the language of serious disruption is any activity that constitutes a more than minor hindrance to people's daily activities. And watching the debate on Monday, you had members of the House of Lords say, what does more than minor mean? You're actually creating a whole other issue here because you're asking police to actually define what more than minor is. And so you've tried to impose this definition, but it's actually not helpful. And it actually makes the threshold for criminalization of protesters extremely low as well as debating the uncertainty of police officers and asking them to make those judgments. And so I think peers are really alive to those issues. And that's why we saw the really key defeats on Monday. And we're really hoping that this kind of stands us in good stead to get the really key harmful measures knocked out at the second day of report stage on Tuesday as well, especially on the protest banning orders and stop and search. Yeah, there was a very striking quote from Labour peer Vernon Coker, who said, we're going to pass legislation here where protests that all of us would regard as reasonable, all of us would regard as acceptable, are going to be illegal. So it's nice to see the House of Lords getting involved in, in, in things like that. We do a lot of stuff on the New Statesman about constitutional reform and the role of the House of Lords. And this is really quite an interesting example on that front alone. More broadly, zoning out from this bill specifically, we've had the policing bill, which is now Act. We've got this. We've got new laws coming in about voter ID. The government's trying to pass anti-strike legislation as well. It feels that the last couple of years, perhaps since COVID, when suddenly vast amounts of human behaviour were suddenly criminalised and legislated against for the good reason, but there was that there was that legislative force about ordinary human behaviour. It does feel that on multiple fronts, there is a sort of creep towards reducing civil liberties. And sometimes when you mention that, when you say that, people will say that overreacting and it's a hyperbolic and no, this is just about making sure that ambulances can get see patients in hospitals and get over bridges that otherwise would have been blocked by protesters. Can you talk a bit about the context of all of these different bills and what kind of effect that they are having on British society? I think that this is clearly a government that are really intent on hiding from accountability. If we see the anti-protest legislation that's going through and that has already passed, if we see the Elections Act, which will see hundreds of thousands of people knocked off of the electoral roll and unable to vote in elections, if we see the anti-strike legislation, that it's not only a deeply concerning and deeply restrictive bill, it's being rushed through the parliamentary process at lightning speed, seeing that the government really clamped down on our ability to make our voices heard. Whether or not you're somebody who goes out to protest, whether you just want to go and make your voice heard at the ballot box, we're seeing it come from many different angles. And the coronavirus context is really important here because I think the pandemic showed that this is not only a government that wants to hide from accountability, but it's a government that really prioritises criminal justice and punitive solutions over instilling more rights for people. We're seeing that in the protest bill, but we're seeing it in the government's drive towards over-policing in general. I think police, the policing context is particularly interesting because we know that 
there's a, there's a national conversation happening about policing at the moment. We're seeing report after report released about police conduct, about the use of police powers. And the government response to this is to hire more police officers and to expand police powers, whether that's expanding police powers to curtail protests, whether that's expanding the number of police officers in schools. We're seeing it from all corners, really. And I think just to connect to the dots between policing and protests and these wider bills, I think the expansion of police powers and responding to police conduct cannot be separated. And I'm really, when we've been working on this protest bill in particular, I'm obviously thinking a lot about the murder of Sarah Everard by serving Met Officer Wayne Cousins. Wayne Cousins cited the Coronavirus Act and another act of legislation the government passed to increase police powers and to obviously impose restrictions on everybody's daily lives. He used that act to arrest Sarah Everard. And we then saw the same powers used to restrict the vigil held on Clapham Common, as well as violence used by police against people gathering at the vigil itself. And it, it was the horrific murder of Sarah Everard that sparked a movement against the policing bill. All, all of these things are connected. And when we're working to resist these bills, what we're really asking is for the government to really roll back police powers, increase our ability to hold them accountable, and essentially enable us to have our rights upheld and our rights expanded instead of have them taken away. But it's a really deeply concerning pattern we're seeing at the moment. That's a really powerful point and absolutely right to link this to policing in general. Finally, though, Rishi Sunak probably is going to be quite pleased that the resistance to this bill ends up in headlines because it helps him pander to his base. And obviously a lot of Conservative MPs, even if they don't like Rishi Sunak, they agree on this and he gets positive headlines in the papers where he thinks Conservative voters will read them. And as with the anti-strike legislation, it's a way for him to look strong at a time when his government, you could argue, is quite weak. If you had the opportunity to get five minutes with him and try and make the case that this will be damaging, not just to Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil, but to sort of the country as a whole in future and possibly could be used against future conservative politicians when this, this power grab, as it were, is in the hands of another party trying to do things that, that they don't agree with. How would you make that case to him? What I would say to Rishi Sunak is to make the case of rebuilding trust among the public after a number of years of lack of government accountability and a real questioning of standards in public life is you can really turn back on the legislation that you're passing at the moment and that I've already passed in the past couple of years, whether it's the policing bill with restrictions to protest, whether it's the Elections Act with the introduction of voter ID, whether it's the new anti-strike legislation and the new public order bill, you can stop doing this now and choose to do things in a different way. We know that criminal justice-led and punitive solutions don't work in terms of responding to the issues we face across society. And People, the ordinary people that you talk about in your messaging, they're getting a really rough deal by this government. Whether you think that you're responding to their concerns about different protest groups or not, we're in a cost of living crisis where people are having to make really crude and painful decisions between heating and eating. Those are the priorities and those are the issues facing the people at the moment. And 
those are the very things that you should be responding to rather than this real drive to escape from accountability and ramp up police powers and ramp up punishments for the very ordinary people that you're talking about. Jodie Beck, thank you so much for talking to us. You can find out more about the Public Order Bill by reading the briefing on Liberty's website. And you can also check out our video on the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill, Now Act, which we published in September 2021 on the New Statesman website. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Cunliffe, and my guest, Jodie Beck from Liberty. We're produced by Adrian Bradley, and our music is Devil with a Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to follow, share and subscribe and leave us a nice review. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.